American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Diamante over Zoom video. Diamante was born in Irvine, Southern California, and moved to Boston when she was about three years old. She talks about being raised in Boston and getting into musical theater at an early age. At around 12, her family moved back to Southern California, to Los Angeles, and that's where she really started to pursue music. She joined the School of Rock. They had like a summer program. And that's where she was first exposed to rock music. She got to play songs from like the Rolling Stones and Black Sabbath and the Beatles with her first proper performance ever being at the Knitting Factory, which is massive. She talks to us about putting out her first single and having it grab the attention of Revolver magazine, being thrown on this huge tour with Flyleaf, eventually signing to Better Noise Records, her first album coming in hot, touring with Breaking Benjamin and Bad Wolves, where she was when the pandemic hit, and her brand new record, American Dream. You can watch our interview with Diamante on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. And it'd be so rad if you subscribe to our channel and like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Diamante. This is all about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. And we'll talk about your new record. Uh, it's coming out what, a week or so. Yeah. Crazy. Very cool. Yeah. Exciting, exciting, exciting. So um, first off, I did read that you were born. Uh, were you born and raised in what, Boston area? So I was born in Irvine, California. Oh, then, okay. That's uh, I know exactly where that is. Boston when I was like three. So grew up there for my entire childhood. And then my entire family came out to LA when I was 12. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you're born in Southern California, moved to Boston, and then moved back to Southern California. Yeah. A <laughs> lot of moving back. <laughs> right on. What was the, uh, do you, do you know why your parents moved from, from uh, Irvine back to Boston? Uh, I think it was because my dad was studying at Boston University. That's oh, a big wow. one. Um, and they, I don't know, my dad just really had an affinity for Boston. He always loved that city. And he uh, kind of just dragged my mom there with him. And uh, <laughs> they were in the real estate business there for a while. Okay. And then you took him back to, to California again? Yeah, that was more my mom. She was tired of the cold. She wanted to go, because she's Mexican. So she's all about warm climate. And gotcha. uh, my youngest brother at the time was like very into acting. My little sister, she was also doing the acting and singing stuff and she still is. So it was really a, a whole family move to go to LA. Oh, right on. Very cool. Were you performing at that time or were you into music at that point? I mean, I, I was obsessed with singing and I was doing musical theater stuff, but that was the extent of that. I wasn't, you know, playing rock shows until I, we all moved to LA and I found the School of Rock and that's where it all started. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't realize you went there. Okay. Well, so, so talking about the musical theater, like what was the first instrument you learned or was it always just singing as a young girl? It was always just singing. The first um, musical theater production I did, I was 10 and okay. my school did Grease and I played the part of Sandy. And this was really bizarre for me because I was a super shy, quiet kid. And uh -huh. then I had to go on this stage in front of like basically my entire community and and perform and sing. And I, I loved it so much, so I kept doing it. Um, I tried so hard to pick up the guitar when I was 13, but 
for some reason, I just didn't have the discipline to have my fingers bleed <laughs> for hours on end. Sure. Um, I mean, right now I'm, I'm really into playing the piano because I had to learn one of my songs recently on piano. And I was thinking, you know, I kind of like this. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll stick with this a little more. That's cool. Is it like a quarantine project? Continuing yeah. to learn? Yeah. yeah I've talked to a lot of people that well. picked up mid- yeah, different instruments. Like, oh, I didn't play guitar in like 10 years. Let me try to relearn this since we're all just stuck inside for, you know, however long. But yeah, um, that's that, that's awesome. So, um, okay. So guitar, you tried guitar out a little bit, but, um, wh- where were you at when you guys moved from, from Boston back to, to LA? Were you trying to pursue musical theater a little bit more when you moved back to Los Angeles and how'd you get into the school of rock? Yeah, I, I came out here and I did like two other musical theater things just from like casting websites that we're oh, looking sure. for for kids. And then my parents actually were the ones because they were always, ever since I was little, constantly throwing me in basketball or soccer or ballet or gymnastics just to see what kind of stuck. And they found the School of Rock program here in LA that was just a summer camp. And okay. um, they had me and my little sister do it. And that was the first time that I actually found out what rock music was. Cause I grew up on pop music. I didn't know that rock music even existed. And I was exposed to bands like Blondie and Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. And I'm over here at 13 thinking, what have I been missing? (laughs) And the cool thing about that school is you have to learn all these songs. And at the very end of the program, you put on a show. And so, Uh The show for this one was at the Knitting Factory, which okay. was a legendary venue. Yeah, a legit it venue. Doesn't exist anymore, but that was my first time playing a rock show. Wow. And that feeling I had with the crowd and the, and the songs, I've just, I fell in love with it. So I've been chasing it ever since. Were you the front person of the band that you started at the School of Rock? I was for my song. So they they pick certain songs for people. And like, for me, I'm a vocalist. So they had me sing vocals on a couple songs and then they threw me on guitar for one song. And I was so bad. <laughs> I was just standing there like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Which song was that? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. I think it was, um, uh, I think it was Sweet Leaf, Black Sabbath. Oh, wow. They're yeah. Like, I'm just sitting there wow. and I don't even play the guitar. I'm just <laughs> That's an interesting choice that they would let little kids go with. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. That's cool. So what, what, what was the song that you sang? Do you remember? Uh, you obviously like what you guys would rehearse together for a while. And then the big final of the show or final of the, the, the chorus yeah. was like a show at the Knitting Factory. Yeah. I remember I sang um, Roadhouse Blues by The Doors. There, that was one. Uh, like let it roll baby roll I did um come together by the Beatles with one other girl okay. and oh my god there is one more oh, and I think I did sympathy for the devil oh wow stones yeah so okay super like for someone who didn't know rock music before then you can imagine my brain was just exploding Sure. Did you guys get to choose the songs? Like, how, how did that really work? Or was it no. you were thrown in like little groups of people and they're like, okay, you guys are going to cover this Rolling Stone song. You guys are going to cover whatever. Yeah, they chose the songs and then they just placed us wherever. That's amazing. And then how, how long did you go on doing School of Rock? It was just that one time. It was the oh, okay. two, three week summer camp. But from then on, I, I made a lot of friends in that program. And then I started... um 
writing original music when I was 14, 15, just working with producers. And then I would have my uh, friends from high school or friends from the School of Rock come and play for me. And I started playing shows on the Sunset Strip and I'd drag all my friends and I'd make my family come. And I think uh, the very first one I did was the Whiskey Go-Go. Wow. 13. <laughs> it was At 13? 14, but oh, like, 40, but still, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that is. You've played like the most legendary venues in that city, like right off the bat. Yeah, I was <laughs> the only one I didn't get to play was the House of Blues here in LA. So oh, well. I tore it down before I could. Oh, well, the, well, they, they moved it to Anaheim, right? Yeah, there's a, there's they, a couple. Yeah, then they re re the newest one is really dope. Have you been to that one? The, no. they, have the they have two rooms now there. Um, in Anaheim, yeah, they oh, moved it. It, was, it yeah. used to be in like downtown Disney, but they moved it kind of down the road a little bit. Yes, yes, I have been there. I did play the downtown Disney one. That one was fun. Oh, okay, yeah, the newer ones, the downtown Disney one was dope. It had the two yeah. levels, um, but the one, the newest one's really cool um, that they just opened up that big, they have the small room and then they have the really big room. Yeah, I love the House of Blues venues. They're so cool. That's awesome. Well, okay, so you started writing songs at around 14. Um, just lyrics, like how were you getting the songs together if you didn't have the guitar? I was working with um, producers who would help me write the songs and they would mainly compose the music and okay. make build the track. And at the beginning, it was definitely more on the pop side because I'm working with these producers and they see a 14 year old girl and they immediately think pop, you know, they're not, right. I'm not screaming rock and roll at them at the time. <laughs> sure. Like, you know, just gradually over time, the more I started really getting deeper into rock music and finding artists that I liked and was listening to, like I was listening to The Offspring and Hailstorm when I was in high school and Paramore and I was discovering all these bands my music slowly started getting a little more rock up until the point when I was 18 and I worked with this producer, Alex Contrell, and I said, I want to make a Rocky P. And that's where we made the super eighties, like ridiculous EP and the song bite your kiss is on that one. And okay. um, yeah. And then obviously the, the debut album with the label and then mm -hmm. up until now. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I want to go back a little bit to the, these earlier songs. How were you meeting these producers? Was it through the School of Rock or is it just uh, people that you had met along the way? Like, um, like how did, how did those relationships start? Um, it was more so people along the way. And then I had a huge help too, because at the beginning of my career, my mom was basically my momager. It was oh, kind of right on. Like, <laughs> okay. Super like just not knowing what the hell we're doing. Just, just navigating. Cuss, on, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> navigating this industry not knowing really what the right moves are and a lot of trial and error and just meeting people along the way and my mom she would find the first producers that I ended up working with wow that's amazing so she was a huge advocate for what you were doing obviously oh yeah her and my dad which makes me so lucky because I know there's so many people who their parents were not into it or even right super against it and that can be super, very difficult so for me having both their support and you know my mom she would like be talking to the sound guy at my local shows and she would be uh just so in charge of everything and my dad would be in the crowd always so it was awesome that's cool are they still that supportive i, I, I imagine as you yeah, your career yeah. blossomed 
my mom <laughs> stepped down from the manager role because oh, uh, she did <laughs> like real estate, which is what she's amazing at. And my dad all the time, he's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm watching your videos on YouTube where I'm seeing uh, posts about you and always sharing stuff with me. It's so cute. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, wow. Okay. Well, so tell me about the, the jump from, you know, doing these shows in, you know, as a, as a kid into high school, and then you put out, you know, bite your kiss, which became your first kind of single, right? Yeah. So based off that single, I went on my first tour ever when I was 18, which was the revolver hottest chicks and hard rock tour. And it was, <laughs> It was five of us. It was a big lineup. It was Flyleaf and wow. The Agonist and Fit for Rivals and me and then one other band. And um, that was when I first ever did a U.S. tour. And it was so much fun. And right after that, I did a tour with Hinder. And then I opened up for Whitesnake. And that wow. White I was just like, what is happening? Oh, my gosh. Well, how did, how did, the, how did the first song start getting traction? Like, how did people start to hear Bite Your Kiss and like really latch on to the song? Uh, I remember that I just had like a really cool press run going for that song at the time. I was only 17. So there was, it was like a cool talking point. Like who's a 17 year old girl who's like making this hard rock music. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember Revolver picked it up and shared it. And so from then on like Loudwire picked it up and it just started circulating the web, I guess. And that's why Revolver put that tour together. And I Oh, okay. So they, the magazine put the, the, the tour yeah. together. Got yeah. it. Okay. I was confused there for a second. <laughs> okay. So they found you and they're like, okay, this girl's rad. Let's put her on a tour with Flyleaf and these other bands that are you going to draw. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And is that what obviously drew the attention then of Bet uh, Better Noise who ended up signing you? Well, Better Noise, what's really cool about that story is I was signed the really old school way based on just the live show. Oh, um, wow. The A&R for Better Noise, I guess, knew my manager from previous stuff a couple years ago. Knew your mom? And, no. Uh, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could have been my manager right then. I'm joking. Um, he came to the show when I was opening for Whitesnake here in L.A., Mm -hmm. And all he saw was a live show. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I want to sign her and let's let's make an album because I didn't have any new music at the time. Wow. So once you sign this deal, that I mean, that's you already are getting some attention, obviously, with the tour and then getting these opening slots. Like how validating was that moment being like, OK, now you're going to you're going to sign a record deal. Oh, it was so cool because it's one of the things that you dream about ever since you're seven. You know, mm -hmm. the, the idea of one day getting a deal with a record label is this super mega dream. And I remember when it was time to sign the actual papers, I went with my mom and my manager to the Rainbow, which is this super <laughs> another legendary venue. <laughs> I was like, we need to do this somewhere cool. And we went to the Rainbow and I signed the papers right there in one of the booths. And I have all these photos of me doing it. Um, so, yeah, I was super valid. Wow. That's cool. That's really cool. That especially the the location you got photos from it. Were you inside at the tables or outside by the Lemmy statue? I was inside. Which probably wasn't there at the time. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> 20 actually it was 20 
1516? Uh, yeah, maybe actually. Maybe. I, I think, can't remember. He passed away, what, 2018, 2017? I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> It's all right. We'll fact check this later. But um, anyway, that's cool. Uh, that's that's amazing. Let's see, sign this deal. Um, and then better noise. What? I mean, they obviously put a, put a record out for you. But how does how does that process start now? Are you like, uh oh, like I'm signed to a label? Like, oh, how do yeah. I put this record together? Like, was there a lot of, you know, oh, yeah. I don't want to say There's... doubts, but like, I'm sure a lot of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. The uh the record ended up taking three years from the point that it, I started writing it to the point it actually was released. Wow. So I started writing it when I was 18, back in 2015. And I, I worked with Howard Benson because the label knew Howard and they picked Howard as the producer for the album. And what happened was I did writing sessions with at least a hundred different writers. I had writing sessions five times a week for two years, it felt wow. like. And, you know, Howard was even telling me at the time, there's this such a small chance that this album ever even sees the light of day, just so you know. <laughs> a lot of uh, people who get some <laughs> labels and they're working on their album, sometimes the label never releases the album. Or, sure. You know, you don't know. It's, there's no guarantee. And oh so my gosh. Was that, that must have been even more pressure, right? You're like, yeah. okay, the guy that's producing the records telling me it might not even come out now. Like, uh, yeah. when we're here all the time like oh my um, gosh and I'm over here this 18 19 year old girl and I'm not like this songwriting mogul yet you know I'm very in the beginner phase of being a, a songwriter and I'm working with all these people and every session I'm going into I'm thinking I gotta get a good song I gotta get a good song and there was always this pressure you gotta get the radio single you gotta get the radio single so um yeah that was that was a tough time for me and then when the album eventually did come out it was a huge celebration for me because sure I didn't know if it was ever going to come out wow and then when the record comes out do they push it pretty hard like I mean I know you have you have a, a few singles off the record or a couple singles off the record yeah um did you like do a opening slot tour like what was the, kind of the progression once you put the record I out I did a lot right when the album came out um I opened for From Ashes to New and Bad Wolves, which are both oh, yeah. bands. So we did a headline run. And then uh, I think the real big tipping point was when I did that collaboration with Bad Wolves, Hear Me Now. Mm -hmm. They ended up taking me out on every single tour they did that summer, which were wow. arena tours. And I was only getting up there to sing the one song but I was still making all these relationships and connections. And I was getting all this experience of what it was like to be a part of a big tour. And then the year after that, they took Haunted to radio. And so I started as my own artist, opening up for bands like Breaking Benjamin and Three Days Grace. And that was huge. So crazy. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Well, they, were they already, cause they put out zombie, right? I mean, that was kind of what, isn't that what really kind of sparked their success? Or was that, were they already pretty huge at, at before that? Well, when I was approached to sing on the song with Bad Wolves, they had just released that song, I think. Okay. And I remember like they were getting traction, but it, it didn't, it, it wasn't huge yet. So it was at the very, very beginning. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So being, I mean, even being, acknowledged by them getting to sing on their record and then opening those shows i mean arenas like tell me about that i mean going from what like club shows to yeah. 
to like an arena stage? Like, how do you, was it a totally different approach? Yeah, it's really different. The first arena stage I ever stepped onto was Bridgestone in Nashville. Okay. Um, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> you're in Nashville? Yeah, just, we just oh, moved here like that. two months ago. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love Nashville. Um, and I'm going there to only sing the one song. So there's a lot of pressure. Like you have three minutes to make an impression and you don't mess up. And I, I get up on that stage and it's just such a different vibe and feeling because in a club, you can see everyone and, and you see their facial expressions and you can really hear yourself on that stage because it's so enclosed. And then in this big arena setting, you walk out there and you just see a sea of black. You don't sure. really see faces, the lights are blinding you, you can't really hear yourself. You feel like you're just in this open water. It's really weird to get used to, but I, I slowly did start getting used to it because um, I was basically on tour with them for like four months straight, just doing wow. that. singing, Just the doing one, the one song? Just the one song, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That was that, that must've been a pretty interesting experience. Like they didn't even have you like open up and play your own stuff like prior to them playing like early no. in, the, in the afternoon or anything? No, not on the uh, arena shows. So it was like this huge buildup all day, all this nervous, you know, exciting energy to, to get to perform in front of these big crowds. And then I sing the one song and I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, then, and it's 7 p.m. and I'm like, what now? <laughs> like, yeah, was there a lot of, I'm sure there was a lot of downtime. Like, did you have to like come up with yeah. things to do? I mean, throughout the day? Yeah, I was... Uh, I had a ritual where every day in these huge amphitheater um, venues, I would go on a run and I'd go on a run around the entire amphitheater and I, I would explore because I, I had to kill hours, you know, there's sure. not a lot I could do. So I would just go on my runs and I'd explore the venue. And then next thing I know, it's time for me to get on stage. <laughs> oh my. Okay. So when this was what year, like 2018, you said 2019? This was uh 2018 was the year that I was singing just the one song. Okay. And then after that, were you touring on the actual record of your own? Your, your yeah. the album that you put out with Better Noise? Okay. And were those opening slots or were those just like club headlining dates? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. I, so in 2019, I did the opening slots for um, Breaking Benjamin. And wow. Yeah. The, inter- the spring tour was them and Under Oath. And uh, I think. I think Bad Wolves was actually on there too. And then the summer one was Breaking Ben and Three Days Grace and Chevelle. And that one was like the coolest, biggest tour I'd ever done. Um, and that one was also pretty long. It was like three months. Wow. And it was that the tour. And that's obviously how you got uh, Benjamin to play on, on the Goo Goo Dolls single or the song they cover you did. Well, I didn't have the idea to do it when I was on the, that tour with him. Right, but you had but, built the relationship. I, I was going to ask you how, how the relationship yeah. formed, but that yeah. obviously makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Spending that much I, time on the road I, with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was two years now of touring with, with Breaking Ben the year before and then 2019. So I totally built a very strong connection with Ben and the rest of the guys. That's awesome. Um, well, where were you when... Like, and in the writing process, because you, you're not with Better Noise anymore, right? No. Okay. And you announced that last year. 
But like, where were you with this record American Dream, uh, like in 2019, like right before the pandemic hit? Like, where's that tour still happening and the tour finish? And were you getting ready to write American Dream? Like, tell me where you were when this virus happened in the world. Came so to flow. I started writing American Dream unknowingly as far back as 2018. Like wow. the fall of 2018, I started writing songs because I went through a, a tough moment in my life where I was very heartbroken and just in a lot of pain. And so nobody was telling me to, I had to go in and write for the next album. I just felt like I had to, to be sane, to, to really just get it out there. Cause writing songs for me, especially painful memories or, or things that I'm trying to process and I write a song about it, it's very healing for me. So I was just kind of booking my own sessions and, and writing with people that I had written for the first album with that I really liked writing with. And I was, I had like a batch of songs. And then the summer of 2019 was when I learned that I wasn't going to do my second album with Better Noise anymore. And so instead of like freaking out, I really just said to myself, well, you have these songs already in your back pocket. You have like, I don't know, four or five songs that you really think are strong. So why not just keep writing and make your own album and release it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And originally the album was supposed to come out in 2020, but then COVID happened, Sure, and, you know, everything got flipped upside down, but I just, I had a plan of just release songs one at a time. And the cool thing was I was releasing songs as they were being created. I didn't have the whole album done, you know, ready to oh, go okay. and, and just pick the best ones. I was releasing songs in chronological order of events that really happened to me. And um, I kept writing and writing all the way into pretty much se September of 2020. So I wrote a lot of the songs on the album in quarantine. Oh, interesting. Wow. And how is that working during quarantine? Were you able to like recording and everything else? Was that like a process? And were you doing yeah. like you know, co-writes with people like this over Zoom? Or? Yeah, yeah, a okay. lot of um, co-writes over Zoom. And then a lot of demoing here in this living room. There's, you can't see it, but there's a microphone right here in the corner. Um, oh, yeah, wow. Cars and yeah. That's cool. Well, how, what, what was that like? Was it different? And do you feel like the songs came out differently because of being in quarantine or, or no? I... I mean, it, it's different because I wasn't going over to a million different places and meeting all these brand new strangers I had never worked with. I was really just working with um, three or four writers that I really connected with and liked writing with. And I got to choose this time who I could collaborate with. So it felt a lot more organic and a lot more natural. And I was able to really open up more in writing sessions as opposed to the first album where it's hard to really tell your deepest, darkest secrets and insecurities to someone you just met. Sure. You know, like, I I, yeah. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Going into a session with somebody yeah. you never met and been like, yeah, I want to write this song about this very vulnerable thing that just happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's a by the way, I'm Adam. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Writing this time around with people I already knew and established relationships relationships with made it so much easier to write from that vulnerable place. That's good. I mean, I love that. What What about like the acoustic versions? I know you've been you'll put out a song and then you'll 
And I love, I mean, your voice is incredible. So it works obviously both on acoustic and, and, um, you know, rock, whatever you want to call it. But like, what, what was the idea behind putting out the acoustic songs, acoustic versions of songs? So for obvious, that song, when I first wrote it back in 2019, May of 2019, it started out, the demo was just me and an acoustic guitar and that was it. Oh, wow. And there was something like really magical about that demo. And that was the one that I played for Neil when I was on tour with them in Three Days Grace. And he mm-hmm. heard that song and said, wow, like this song is crazy good. It really hits me in some like special way. And I want to help you make your next album with Howard because they already had their connection since Howard has done multiple Three Days Grace albums. Mm-hmm. That's where our team kind of forged was with this oh. song. And Neil really transformed Obvious into the hard rock song that you hear right mm-hmm. now. And it's got like some Three Days Grace elements, especially in that opening riff. You can definitely hear that influence. Um, but I had the idea to make the acoustic because I also wanted to show listeners what the song first started out like in I the demo that. form, which was just me and the guitar. Because I don't know, there's a, a different vibe you get when you hear it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. That's, that's really cool. That's awesome. And what about the cover of Iris? Was there, why'd you choose that song? Like, what, what was the process behind that one? That, that one's a really cool story. Um, Iris has been a song that I've wanted to cover for forever. It's always been my favorite song since I was a kid. I always love the Goo Goo Dolls, but that song, especially, I just remember being obsessed with it ever since I was like, I don't know, eight, nine years old. And uh, I, I always had the idea to cover it, but I was always told no. So this time around, I didn't have anyone to tell me no. So I figured this is the best moment to do something you've always wanted to do. And then Neil had the idea to make it a duet, which I thought was such a cool thing because I've never, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a billion covers of the song, but I don't think I've ever heard a duet cover. No, I'd never heard it like that. So I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And it's going to be hard rock and it's going to be duet. And I was just thinking, you know, who do I want to have on the song, like a male voice that would really bring the song to life. And I immediately thought Ben, because we had just toured together so extensively and -hmm. really got to know each other. And, you know, like I love the sound of his voice. And so all I did was I uh, messaged him on Instagram DM. (laughs) You know, just straight to the point, very direct. I didn't go through management. I didn't go through label, whatever. I love that. uh, Hey, Ben, I have this idea to cover Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. I've always wanted to do this. It's my favorite song. Would you mind jumping on it and singing on it? I'd be so honored if you did. And to my surprise, he said, yeah, I love this song too. It's always been my favorite. Let's do it. Wow. What? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I had already recorded my part of the song. And so the idea was that he was going to record his part and we would just stitch it together somehow. Sure. But Ben was the one who said, you know, I I can do that and I can copy all your inflections and everything you're doing and just sing over your vocal. But I think it'd be way cooler if you came out to one of the Breaking Ben shows and flew out because he was on tour at the time. Uh Sing it together in real time in the same place on the same mic. And there'll be a whole different kind of magic if we do that. 
Wow. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. And I got on a plane and I went to Reno to the Breaking Ben show when they were playing with Korn. And we ended up doing, uh, recording the vocals on the tour bus. Really? So the vocals that are on the actual record are from the tour bus? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I would have never guessed that. It was a first for me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just the one take of you guys together or like, I mean, obviously you do overdubs, right? Yeah, we we did um, a lot of takes, especially because we were just experimenting a lot. Like he would Mm -hmm. say, you know, you take that high part and I'll take this low part. And then maybe I'll take the high part this time and you take the low part. And we um, just recorded everything we possibly could Uh so that we could play like Jigsaw Puzzle. I love um, that. Into mixing the song and seeing like who sounded best in what part. Sure. It's an amazing version. It's so cool. Um, yeah, my sister's boyfriend is a huge fan of Breaking Benjamin. Like it's his favorite band. So I just, I, before I talked to you, I, I sent him the, the video the, of you guys doing the song together. Just, I was just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, interview. Um, I'm interviewing her and he, she did the song with, with Benjamin. I would just check it out. So I'm wondering if he, I threw That's my awesome. phone, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to love it because he, he likes the Goo Goo Dolls too. But I thought that was rad that you did that song with him. Yeah, it was such a cool experience. That's awesome. That's really cool. So the record's coming out. Um, how do you feel about putting it out right now? I mean, obviously, it's going to be a totally different approach, I'm sure, with the pandemic and maybe tours opening up here. I mean, people are booking stuff for yeah. November. Yeah. So... I mean, I have uh, a couple festivals that I'm supposed to play in September. Oh, yeah. And that's one incarceration. But I'm always like, I'm playing this festival. Hopefully, maybe. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Who knows anymore? Because nothing is guaranteed. Nothing's certain, it feels like. So. um, Oh, you are doing incarceration festival. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. The the one with Data Remember, I know, is on there. Let me see. Mm -hmm. Oh, Slipknot. Wow. This is a huge lineup. Mudvayne. Mudvayne, Rob Zombie. I mean, Beartooth, that's that's going to be amazing. And is that your first show back since the pandemic? That, if it happens, that would be my first show back with, you know, a crowd because I did do the live stream shows, but. Okay. Yeah, um, tell me about that. How do, you, how do you feel about doing those live streams? Was it awkward or? They, they can be <laughs> awkward because. <laughs> In between songs, especially, you're right. so used to hearing the crowd uh, cheering or talking or like existing. And then if you do these live stream concerts in between each song, you know, you finish a song and it's just silence. <laughs> right, <music>. right. <laughs> and there's like the latency too. So then it's yeah, even like, yeah. um, yeah. and then you'll see some thumbs up like eight seconds later <laughs> or whatever. Like talk in between. Um, the, the thing I did with my live streams, which really helps, was I had a real-time live chat feature where I could actually see what everyone watching was saying and I could talk to them in real time. So there was at least some kind of interaction. Oh, that's cool. I mean, for me, like 2020, I'm glad I did those live stream shows because it made me feel more connected to everyone again. Mm-hmm. I was able to perform, which is what I love doing and going an entire 18 months without playing a show was just too much for me. You know, I just, I felt like I had to do something and getting to talk to everyone. And afterwards I did the meet and greets with like the FaceTime feature. And stuff that's like that. cool. I'm afraid people love that. I mean, this, yeah. that's, I, I think this whole behind the curtain look at, at artists is so cool with, I mean, unfortunately what, what 
you know, how it came to be is, is awful. But the fact that, you know, you're sitting in the studio, you, you recorded stuff for, for this new record and we're chatting is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that um, this pandemic forced a lot of artists to be more creative and have to like really think, well, what can I do now um, with this time? Like, There's a lot of things I can't do, but what can I do? So that's really the approach I took with this last year. And that's why I was writing so much and demoing. And I don't think that if this last year hadn't happened the way it did, that I would have an album finished right now. So I always try to see the silver lining with anything that sure. Well, not only, yeah, you have to be more creative. You have to be a lot more vulnerable, letting people into your your life and your your living room, right? I mean. Yeah, and motivated because that's it's hard <laughs> when you're being told, you know, you got to stay inside and no one's telling you to even do anything all day. So why do you have to wake up at a certain hour to get things done? It's, it's hard to stay motivated. Sure. I mean, and then, yeah, it's like your livelihood, too, is also on the line where okay, well, if I don't do these things, like, how am I supposed to, you know, promote another record? Like, you know, am I ever going to get to play again? I, I mean, I'm sure all those questions ran through your mind at one point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. And um, it was hard some days to even be excited about this album because, you know, on the hard days, I think, well, what's what's the point even? But I'm so glad that I did push through because um, at some of the the best material I think I've ever made. So that's really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. And I, I, I mean, fingers crossed. I, I, hopefully everything will work out and, and uh, you'll be able to play that festival. It's in where Ohio. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Very cool. My uncle went to that college. (laughs) That's where you went to college. My uncle went to college oh. there. I went to, I actually got to go to a few football games um, there and it's crazy. I it's, bet. It's yeah, it's really crazy. Like the whole town shuts down for every Saturday that there's a game. I mean, people everywhere. It was, yeah, it was, it was wild, but <laughs> that's amazing that they're going to put that festival on there. And, and uh, I mean, September it's coming close. Yeah. So. Yeah, that'll be exciting. And thank you so much for, for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me again. I have one more question for you, Diamante, before I let you go. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Yes, I would say um, always keep honing your craft. Um, never stop learning. Never stop trying to improve and get better. But I think even more important than that, never forget why you started in the first place, because I think I've lost that along the way sometimes. And when you start forgetting that, you know, you're doing this because it's your passion. It's what you love doing and you want to do this above anything else. You always have to remember that, especially in the hard moments, because it's easy to lose sight of that when you're getting told, you know, you need to get that that single or you need to change this about yourself or you need to do this or that. And um, as long as you remember why you started in the first place, I think that's how you stay grounded and you don't lose sight of who you are and what your purpose is.